If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Hello, Philadelphia. Hello, New Jersey. Where are we anyway? There's a hell of a lot of you, and uh, we appreciate your presence, each and every one of you. And uh, this is the, uh, there's only four shows left, and uh, the throat's starting to go. So uh, hang in there with me and help me when you can. And I will be taking requests later, so uh, for now we need to concentrate. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and welcome to 2024 a year where expectations are very high a year where we know a brand new album is coming out but we don't know when it's happening and a year that we know we're getting a pretty extensive tour and we have an idea of when it's going to be happening but we don't have those answers just yet So this is going to be a big year for Pearl Jam, and we're going to talk a little bit about that once we get into the episode, but if it's a big year for Pearl Jam, that means it's a big year for Live on Four Legs 2. So whatever Pearl Jam is going to be doing, we're going to be reacting to everything. We're excited to be back on tour, to go to some of the shows, to not get COVID at the shows, all of the above, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, like we went for a long time on the lightning bolt tour where seven years we didn't have an album. And now we're kind of splitting the difference again. Cause I think it was four years between backspacer and lightning bolt. And it's going to be the same in between gigaton and new record X here. And now it feels like the, the band can get back into a groove and we'll just see what that record is. But that's going to be part of the discussion today. But if this is an episode of this podcast, that means we are covering a show from their past and we can't do a 2024 show yet. Cause it's only been three days in the new year. 
We're going to do a 2000 show. How about Camden from 2000? This was a Patreon request from Marty Thomas. We will get into all of that. Pretty good show, too. But first, why don't we talk about the future? Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. The future is so bright, we got to wear what? You got to wear shades. No, Happy New Year. Like, it's exciting. We've turned the calendar over. The waiting is we might just be weeks or days away from knowing something. Whenever the news breaks, obviously, we'll jump in with a reaction episode to whatever happens. But, yeah, it kind of takes it back. You remember when Gigaton came out, there was that leak of Dance of the Clairvoyance from the Bill Simmons podcast or something. That caused the whole thing. People were, like, shazamming it to see if it was real, and it turned out it was, and then... It was a whole thing. But, yeah, hoping this one goes a little smoother whenever they decide to let us in on some new music. That means anything that you hear, like, on TV. Because Backspacer actually had something at the All-Star game the year that Backspacer came out in 2009. They played the Fixer going into break, and people were like, oh, that's Pearl Jam, but what is this? Like, let's figure this out. So, I think... Most years that they have a new album, they have little hints in places. So I don't know, maybe if you're savvy enough, go out there and, you know, listen to what's going on in sporting events and movies, TV, podcasts, not here. I don't think we'll have the songs here. And if we did, we'd get in a shitload of trouble, I'm sure. But you just never know when something's going to pop up. And thankfully people were, this whole community is so savvy when these things happen. Somebody seems to figure it out. And I don't know how they could have even figured out that dance of the clairvoyance was Pearl jam because it was so unlike anything that they did that it might've just been somebody that just so happened to be like, Hmm, let me figure out what the song is. Oh shit. Okay. Makes sense. And then word just kind of spread like wildfire. Yeah, I think it was like he was always using Pearl Jam songs to come out of some break and like, it's like, oh, that's the new one. Like people, wait a minute. But from what we hear, you know, we've heard some interviews with Mike about what it's going to sound like and everything. And, you know, people are obviously curious to see what this Andrew Watt collaboration leads to. So, yeah, hopefully that we won't have to wait too long to find out. Now that you mentioned that, I think that tee-in from Bill Simmons was, and now new music or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that maybe led people to think one way or the other that he usually plays Pearl Jam. So this might connect in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. There's so much to look forward to. There's so much to look forward to. And the interviews don't make it any better. We've heard from Mike that, okay, this is going to be a heavier solo album from him where he's going to be more involved, where he said it's going to kind of take over in the same sound realm that 10 was in. And we all know that Andrew Watt specifically told everybody not to bring their own instruments into the studio. So he kind of challenged them to work outside their wheelhouse a little bit, which was awesome. And now all we have to do is just kind of wait until the moment where they decide, okay, it's time for you to know. And if they don't mention anything in a newsletter and, and one of the weird things about Gigaton that yes, it was sort of revealed in a newsletter in the weirdest way possible, the stupid uh, 
put your phone up to the billboards oh, kind yeah. of thing. All over yeah. the world, they had those little installations and stuff, yeah. I, I really hope that's not the case this year, because yeah. first of all, they alienated people when they did that, because they were like, you can do it in New York, you can do it in LA, you can do it in Melbourne, Australia, you can right. do it in London. Right. And like, okay, from Connecticut, I can't do it. From Atlanta, you can't do it. And from Syracuse, I'm not going to be able to do shit. They won't send anything up to Syracuse. So I had the whole, you had to point your phone up at the moon to hear like a clip of Super Blood Wolfman. That was a weird thing too. Yeah. I just, just be normal with it. I didn't. No gimmicks. Let's just, just put out the music. I, I didn't mind it as much like it wasn't fun but it was like let's do a little bit of a scavenger hunt i'm cool with that but just get everybody involved don't just make it pieces of the country and pieces of the world like no make it something that everybody can do like make it like pokemon go where you like find things in your backyard or some shit like that yeah i don't know look the marketing team certainly has their work cut out for them. Everybody's going to be waiting for it. Everybody's going to be excited for it. They have no problem in doing that. I've heard rumors about what the album name could be and mentioning them would just make everybody go crazy. But which is funny because the rumor that I heard was that there were patents out there for Pearl Jam Asylum, which is weird because when you think of Asylum, don't you think Kiss? First thing you think of now is like refugees. Well, yeah, I, I'm talking about like music wise, though. Mm-hmm. But was that I, a kiss I, thing? Uh, you, you lost me there. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was. Okay. okay. But I, yeah, was sure. I wasn't thinking in that aspect because <laughs> I think Asylum was a Kiss record or a Kiss uh, Live record. I, I can't remember. No. But what would that lead to? That's the thing. Like, I don't know. I'm not even going to expand on that thought. I'm going to let you guys sit with that as well. And then maybe if there are little hints over the next couple of weeks, we'll bring it up. But right now, I think it's all just kind of putting together a hypothesis and just waiting. We'll find out when the tour will be. Obviously, the rumors out there say that May and September and then June, July for Europe and then some ballpark stuff. And I don't want to get into all that until it is fresh on paper. We see it. And then we'll talk to you guys about where we want to go and where you can find us and so on. But as of right now, we're just kind of sticking here and just kind of holding on to the hope and just waiting. Well, as mentioned before, we are covering a 2000 show, which is good. I love that we're kind of starting the year here with some eras that feel like we haven't touched up on in forever because we ended the year so kind of one track minded into 1993, a little into 2013. And of course the shows from this past year as well. And now we can kind of dig back into specific eras and some songs that were getting a lot of play during this era, like that are in their prime stuff like grievance and light years. And then even talk about songs that we haven't talked about in a while because 1993 was so prevalent, like last exit and present tense and spin the black circle, like those kind of songs. So this does feel like it's a nice refresh that we're setting a brand new year needs a brand new start. And I think 2000 is one of the best years 
to kind of take a little bit from early, take a little bit from the middle. And this is the era, I think it's the sweet spot to involve like all the things that people still want to hear to this day. Yeah, it's interesting too, because, you know, until kind of mid-February, we're going to be going chronologically, like through the years. We're going to be doing 2003 next week, then a couple in 2006, 2010, and so on and so on. So we're going to get a chance to kind of start the year off a little bit following the trajectory of these tours and kind of hitting the greatest hits of the last 25 years before we get going into some other things. So yeah, this going to be fun. In this show specifically, so we all kind of know the timeline. We can say it's a we're blue in the face anytime that we cover a show from August or September in 2000. The storyline is you're coming off of Roskilde. You are coming off the time period where it is the most tumultuous time in Pearl Jam's history, where every show they seem to be figuring something out as they go. And we mentioned this when we did the Saratoga episode last year, where it was really Jones Beach and those three Jones Beach shows that kind of started to get them to kind of break out of the funk that they were in, to kind of realize that it's not just us here that are out in this hole that feel almost responsible for this, but like that people are still following us around, that people have our back, like it gives us a lot of confidence. And he says it so often in this show, he doesn't talk a whole lot, but Ed will say every time he does talk, like, thank you guys so much. You don't know how much it means to us that you guys are here and celebrating this. And at this point, it's a couple weeks after those Jones Beach shows, and it feels like that a lot of these shows, Saratoga, and then you go to Mansfield and some in between, that those shows have much more positive impact. Like there isn't a lot of downtrodden moments. There isn't a lot of like trying to get through something like there was in kind of like the Southern tour run that they were on and like Charlotte and some of those other places. And it really feels like here that they've kind of found a little bit of the therapy that they needed in order to get them to where they should be whenever they're on tour. Yeah, definitely being there and like having that gave them a lot of confidence. And obviously those crowds are going to be big and supportive. That's the kind of theme of this run is like starting in Virginia Beach when that crowd was amazing and kind of buoyed them on to keep going. You see that throughout this whole run where the crowds just keep pushing them on like, okay, we're with you. Keep going. We're with you. Keep going. We're with you. Keep going. We're, we're, we're going to keep showing up. So yeah, it gave them a lot of confidence. And then, like you said, right before this, two nights in Mansfield, where they're going to get that that crowd as well. And, and having Sonic Youth as well as the opener, I think, too. Like an elder statesman band that can like get them through it and give them some advice. Like It played a big part in this. And then you see it you know, going on when they finish this leg shortly after this and head over to the West Coast. We know all the things that happened over there. But yeah, all these shows are important for that reason. There's 2000s. seems like every night there was something unique going on. So this right here, we're doing this episode because it is a Patreon request from our patron, Marty Thomas. And the next month, every show in January that we do is going to be a Patreon request where we're going to have stories and we're going to be able to sit in the shoes of our patrons that have lived these shows and love these shows. And unfortunately, we weren't able to hear from Marty, but if we do hear from Marty in the next couple of days, weeks, 
then we promise we will share his story once we do hear from him. But at this point, we don't have a story from him, but we are doing this episode because he requested it. And of course, we are going to stay true to his request, but we will tell a story whenever we do get our hands on it. Well, it's time to start our first show of the year. And as mentioned, for longtime listeners here, you might remember that one of the years in the last like four years, we did a little thing called song appreciation for songs that we just hadn't covered on the podcast in a long time. And because we had really stuck in one or two eras for the last two months or so, a lot of this feels very, very fresh. So we won't go back to that gimmick again, but to get sometimes to open this show truly does feel like it's brand spanking new to us. excited to see this pop up as the first song it's like okay here's something different something we haven't talked about in a while very excited and of course no code did you notice like the walk-on music it was very very subtle it was very very hard to tell but i thought it was like and i think that they've used this before it was like a strings version of baba i think so yeah like because you hear in the background you hear that dum 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 you hear a little bit of that yeah, I think they were using that a lot around this time. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I like this version of Sometimes a real lot. I think it's a good open. And, you know, there are differing versions of this where if you open with it in 1996 through 1998, it's going to be more of what you hear on the record. It's going to kind of have more of a subtlety to it. And the build is going to not crescendo in the way that it does, especially now. But this is a version where it absolutely does crescendo and it kind of almost shows its hand right away where within the song and within the way that it starts, energy flows from it from the beginning. And then, of course, once you get into the big moment where Ed's going through the Rolodex of what he does sometimes, it just keeps elevating higher and higher and higher. And then... Of course, one of my favorite things when it comes to this song as well, when at the end they kind of do a little bit of like an extra rev up where they kind of jam for a second or two on a couple measures and it just sounds really, really good. This is my favorite type of sometimes that this band will pull out. Yeah, those early versions, they played it a little more straight, a little more flat seems like I'm discounting a little bit, but I'm not. It's more of a slow and steady kind of version, but... Yeah, these versions 2000 and Born, it, it got really dynamic. There's a lot of up and down in this. It ramps up, then they pull it back down. They really do a good job with like creating the tension and having it be 
dynamic and having it be exciting. It's not just like a filler opener that leads you into the next thing. They do a good job of making it something to pay attention to on its own. Yeah, I agree. This was good. Okay. The next three songs are going to be from Vitalogy. It's going to be the first six from Vitalogy. Reminds you of Nashville a little bit. Then Animal, then Red Mosquito. So it felt like they got off to a little bit of a rocky start. Ed will mention after Dissident and a couple of songs that his throat is not at its best capacity. There are only four shows left. They've been on tour for just about exactly a month at this point. So he's asking people, come on, hang, hang with me here. I need a little bit of your help. And you can tell during last exit, because there are just some songs where, you know, he has it, especially songs that are like right in the beginning of the show where, you know, he's going to go for it. And that's going to be, where he is the whole entire show. And Last Exit is one of those songs where you can tell, like, if he has it on Last Exit, then he's got it for the night. And it felt like he holds back just a little bit on this, that he doesn't go, like, full throttle on it. And you can tell it seems like he's kind of hurting. And and he does a good enough job to mask it a little bit. But when you've heard a lot of versions of this, when you're kind of paying attention and it gets a little nitpicky, like, you know, when the powerful last exits are going to come out. And this one felt like it was a product of Ed not wanting to rush into over exhausting his throat really early on. And this would turn into a show that Ed does sound pretty good at points but I think he was being really, really cautious very early on. Yeah, this is a tough one early on if the throat isn't cooperating. Yeah, I agree, especially, you know, coming off all those 1993 shows that we did last year. You get used to hearing the feral Ed in your headphones, right? That That's what you listen for, the scream and that yell. And, like, I agree, this one's just not there. A little early on for him to probably just a case of, you know, not being warmed up or anything. But the show's up and down with that. He does have a really good howl and animal. I thought animal was fantastic. But yeah, last exit, it seemed to be just missing that extra little push that it usually has. Yeah, musically, the band is really tight this whole entire show. And you have to be thinking, you know, how many shows have they done at this point? Like 20 something. And they're just tight. They can finish each other's sentences the way that they're playing. I thought that the version of last exit that the band put on was excellent and if ed had come close to what he usually sounds like on it it would have been like yes that's exactly where you want that song to be but you know you said you liked this version of animal i i do have a small criticism of it though because i think the way that you're getting the buzz coming from stone's guitar where usually you'll get that dum dum the dum the dum dum it was almost too fast for that tone where you really didn't get the full feel of that riff, where especially at the end, like he does it so fast where it's like, and you don't get that. You don't get that feel. It just kind of feels like sound emanating where it's just kind of like an ongoing buzz the whole entire time. It was hard for that to kind of have some trajectory on it. And it took me out of the version a little bit. Going into Red Mosquito 2, there would be a moment of a little bit of sloppiness in Red Mosquito. It, it doesn't get off to the best start in the show. It's going to change rather quickly. But I thought that this version of Animal was a little bit tough in the way that you want that riff to just get some space and kind of sing out. It didn't have that. 
I, I can see that, but I think that helped Mike, and that just sent Mike off on another level playing it fast like that. That gave him so much energy on that solo. And I want to mention too, I think you you had mentioned the sound of this bootleg is not great. It clips a little bit in some places. I don't know if there are issues with the recording of it or whatever, but it doesn't come off as one of the better official bootlegs of this year or of all time. Like there's a few places where like I think the static comes through, the clips doesn't sound good overall. Like for an official bootleg, I would say this is near the bottom. Yeah, I remember there being some complaints with some of these shows. I think Memphis was the one that everybody kind of said like really, really rough recording of that. And I wonder if that's just like, you know, they, they did it over in Europe and they figured out what to do over in Europe and maybe they had to kind of make some adjustments on this and not every night had necessarily the same vibe to it. And I wonder, I wish we were covering night two of this because I wonder if it sounds better than what it sounds like here. I wonder if they were able to figure that out. But yeah, I did notice that too. There are a couple songs that we'll talk about here where very similar to Animal, like the tone is just very fuzzy. Red Mosquito, though, I think the band, especially Matt, it seemed like Matt was reading a different part of the set list. The way that Matt comes into Red Mosquito is the same way he usually comes into Distant. There's specific songs that if you have listened to them thousands of times, you just know it's just trigger points for you. And right away, when hearing Red Mosquito, I thought, hmm, they went into Dissident right here and they just had to readjust after a couple seconds. There's a little moment of chaos in the transition at the end where it felt like they weren't sure if they were going to keep going with that part or transition out of it. There was a little bit of confusion there, it sounded like. So yeah, maybe things got a little mixed up here. Once they figured this out, it takes a verse or two before they're like, okay, now we can kick in, now we can find the confidence and we can put this all together. And I think it's just Mike that kind of takes it over. And once you get to like the last solo part of the song, transitioning into when Ed does the whole, if I had known then what I know now, like he's doing little parts through that that are a really good juxtaposition with what Ed is doing, kind of back and forth and complementing each other really well. And it almost feels like that's like a secondary backup vocal the way that Mike is playing. I thought that that was really good. Yeah, this is a really good Mike show as well. I think whenever Ed has those vocal issues, Mike seems to be the one to always step up and take charge a little bit. There's going to be a moment, I can't remember it off the top of my head, where you can tell that Ed was struggling and then Mike absolutely knows just comes in and and does his thing it might be black i can't remember which one it was but yeah this is one where you're absolutely 100 right mike knows when to come in mike knows when to take charge and take over for ed almost and take the highlight so next couple songs here we're gonna get dissident but it's gonna come after grievance and light years two of the three binaural songs from this show not a lot of binaural representation at all and some of the songs that were on the set list but weren't played at the show one of them being evacuation so they had plans to do more but you get to the next night of this and they start out the show with of the girl and break or fall and they'll get into nothing as it seems and it kind of feels like they made up for 
what they didn't do binaural wise at this show, but by God, it's grievance in 2000. And that is of course where it is at its peak. And I thought that grievance just had all that ferocity. What ferocity that Ed didn't bring into last exit felt like he was now getting a little bit more comfortable to bring it into grievance. up into the end is just elevated by a simple Cameron kick drum build that just revs you up for it. That is a good version of Grievance. I don't know if you can say that there's ever a non-highlight version of Grievance from 2000. This is just one in the bunch. Yeah, I mean, it's when you want it. That's the perfect time to get it. But yeah, I think that the lack of binaural probably has to do with the voice as well. Those newer songs, he'd be pushing his voice a little bit and he probably wanted to stick to things that were a little more comfortable, a little less harsh on the vocal cords. But yeah, I mean, you point out they come back for night two the next night and do eight binaural songs, including starting off with Parting Ways in the preset and Soon Forget up all the way through. Like, they definitely made up for it on night two. So I think that was definitely a conscious decision by them to just do these two to get a little bit in there and then get back to things that are a little more comfortable. Now, Light Years sounded really, really good on this as well. And I thought that the drive, and again, kind of mentioning what I said before, that the band was really, really tight and kind of clicking in this show. Sometimes this can happen where Light Years has a little bit of slack in the song, where it kind of just drags along a little bit. And you can tell, like, okay, the band isn't quite confident with it, but this is one of those versions and when it sounds like this this is the best way that you want light years it's everybody kind of coming in and being on time with it because there's little pieces of the song where the timing is really really hard to measure up i think it kind of comes in a little bit with the bridge and definitely a lot with the choruses as well but this is one where everybody was right on it and it just seemed to click really really well yeah i thought jeff and cameron locked it together really well on it and when that happens that makes it easy for Stone to do what he does. Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to have a bad thing to say about Light Years, one of my favorite songs, so I'm always happy when it pops up. Do you remember when I said that thing about Mike having to make up for Ed and some of the struggles that Ed have? Well, we don't have to wait too long because it's actually happening in Dissonant because you can tell Ed at one point, in a way, it almost sounds like he went through puberty during the line because he kind of like... He's singing and then his voice kind of just drops and he just kind of loses it in the middle of the song. And I think that's what leads into the whole speech that comes after it. But the way that Mike makes up for it, you know that like he's feeling it on a version of Dissonant when he can elevate 
the song and like take it to a higher octave on it and he's kind of making you pay attention to him like oh okay what is he doing this isn't normal for McCready on Dissident and you're paying attention to what he's doing and then Ed of course at the end of Dissident is usually gonna speak through it anyway but Mike is putting the focal point on him and it was smart in this instance because yeah you can tell that Ed was struggling especially the ending and you know with given to fly next that's maybe their most soaring song so you get these two here i think mike elevates this i totally agree mike sends this to another level than it normally is like dissonant is one that i usually kind of gloss over a little bit okay it's dissonant is what it is but this version you can tell like mike was definitely onto something special well it's gonna come out and say hello philadelphia hello new jersey where are we anyway He's not going to talk a lot at this show, so this is one of your moments where you do get to hear from him after the first seven songs. There's a hell of a lot of you, and we appreciate your presence. There's only four shows left, and the throat is starting to go. Hang in with me and help when you can. And Ed sees signs in the front for breath. Now, we'll get to this when we get to breath later, but when you think of signs and when you think of breath, you think of my failed attempt in 2022 to get breath played at Madison Square Garden after the 24 year. No, no. Of course, you think of the 1998 version of Madison Square Garden. So we'll get into talking about that when it's time in the encore. But like that is a little bit of the hint of what's to come. And he kind of says, we'll take some requests later, but right now we need to concentrate. We want to thank Sonic Youth for being such a great band and being here with us. And this is a song that Mike starts, and it goes like this. Given to Fly, basically through the end of this main set, is awesome. There's so many great highlights all throughout this that I just absolutely love. And I can go through and I can cherry pick, but let's start where it's supposed to start because right when you get into giving a fly and immediately when ed gets into the chorus you can tell that ed's loosening up a little bit more that energy for giving a fly is just palpable on this you can tell like he's made a choice to decide which song to go for it on and he does and the whole entire band is dead set focused constant pounding from cameron made this song special and it's a really, really excellent performance. Granted, Given a Fly in 2000 was that. There are multiple amazing versions of this. There are some that a lot of you absolutely will go back to and know, but this is one of those that, yeah, Given a Fly is at very, very close to the top of its game. And 
you can tell that Ed's playing with the whole tour because there is a line change when he goes to, well, fuckers, you know the rest. you know we talked about when we did the evolution episode on this Cameron you know Jack put such a stamp on it and you kind of forget that Given the Fly almost has a little bit of that in my tree who you are drum vibe to it on the studio version when Jack played it but by this time you can tell Cameron is just completely putting his stamp on it and turning it into something else into like the anthem that it would become and that starts on this little run of shows and yeah I just love what Cameron does here Yep, Cameron is definitely a highlight. You know, while you were saying that this is a good mic show, I think equally it's a very, very, very good Cameron show as well. There's going to be multiple moments of filthy fills all throughout this that are just going to sound great. I think there's, yeah, I think there's a really, really good one with Evenflow as well, which happens to be right now. So, well, there is no video for this show. We do get some clarity on something that does happen during this that ed mike and jeff apparently execute a jump completely in sync in this one of again as we talked about a lot in 2023 if we don't have the video for it we just don't get that perspective but sometimes it just happens once and once only and the fact that it got written up for us to read about it now and to share with you guys is just as important as actually seeing the video of itself but this is a very good mike solo section here we don't really talk about the versions where after he gets like really hendrixy gets like really electric on it he kind of slows down and plays something that to me always felt a little bit more like Carlos Santana than like uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan or Hendrix or somebody like that. Yeah, I think this one it gets a little bluesy at first, and then, you know, putting it on cruise control is not really the best way to say it, but it almost feels like that's what he does. Like, he just kind of maybe relaxes a little bit. I got through the hard part. Let's bring this in nice and easy. Let me just do something fun here. I don't need to show off. I don't need to do finger tapping. Let me just play something fun and melodic that I know is going to bring in because, you know, the band's going to kick in for that last chorus and it's going to be a big moment. So it's well done. You know, Mike, it's a masterclass in soloing the history of the flow. So just part of the story. Let's hear that transition because there is a filthy fill from Matt Cameron going into the end of the chorus.
like this little section right here is going to have a lot of great content. It's going to be Wishlist and a Better Man in the present tense. And Wishlist to me has a little bit of an edge to it, which I'm not the biggest fan of Wishlist Live, but if I want to hear it, I want to hear it like this. I want to hear kind of have a little bit of character to it instead of being a little more like poppy and sing song. Those aren't the versions that I love of Wishlist, but when Matt goes hard on it, you can feel a little bit of extra weight put into the song. And that can happen on more of a freaking occasion if they wanted it to, but I actually really dug this version of Wishlist. Yeah, very cool. It felt like they weren't really sure what to do at the end, so Ed just kind of does like the kind of sweet little outro on it, and it, 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 yeah, it was it was real nice. I like Wishlist Live a lot. I'm I'm a fan of it, especially the kind of resurgence that it's had the last couple of years. So this was good, and it's nice again. Mentioned that this back half of the main set is just going to be loaded, so this is a good way to kind of like get a gentle start to that and kind of build up into what's coming next. I think Better Man is the highlight. It's at number 11, which is a spot that we don't get it at. But man, bring it on. Mid-set better man in this. The crowd is singing, and the energy is very apparent from the start. The way that this kind of progresses along, and there's going to be a lot more filthy fills to come in this one as well. They're all over the place. But as they're driving into the chorus, they have such upward momentum on this, such good progression that they're feeling it in a way and then Ed kind of does a little bit of the save it for later. And then like once or twice does the don't run away. And at the time, that was kind of what the tag was. It was starting to evolve a little bit into sort of its own section in ways. As we'll see here, they do that section where they kind of stop and they kind of take it down a little bit, but it wasn't as prepared as it is now where you kind of know, okay, this is where the tag is going to go down and this is where we're going to get hyped back up and it's going to rev back up and finish the song. But they do that and they don't necessarily do like a save it for later tag in there. He's doing other lyrics within that. And the crowd of maybe like 20,000, whatever it was, 25,000 I'm seeing here, all clap in unison. And it lasts a while. It lasts a while where they're kind of just sitting on this. And then the band just all of a sudden probably just looks at each other and they're like, okay, let's bring this back and let's just go hard at the end. And it works. It was so good in this spot. I mean, this could end up being the highlight of the show. It was so good. We know that like now he'll riff on those kind of Save It For Later lyrics in the golf, but yeah, in 2000, Save It For Later was still kind of a new thing. It didn't really, I think 96 it popped up for the first time, but then didn't come back, and in 98 it popped up a few more times, but still a relatively recent thing here, and I don't know if this is the first time that he kind of improvs on those lyrics and goes off on it, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of the first, but yeah, he's going off and like, swore I'd never leave you alone and then I get back and you know you're not home you're not home you're not home I love these little improvs and when he kind of goes off script and riffs on things so yeah this is fantastic and two you mentioned like here's the crowd finally like we haven't gotten a big crowd when we didn't have release we haven't had small town so here we're finally getting to hear this crowd in action a little bit yeah this might be the earliest that I can remember and maybe it happened a little bit more on this run and maybe even in Europe in 2000, but this is the earliest that I can remember where they 
took it and, and broke it down a little bit, where they changed up the tempo and then built up for the ending. This is one of the earliest versions that I can remember that has that. Because you're right, they were doing Save It For Later for a while, but it was just basically a way to add those lyrics to the end of the song, and they didn't change the composition of it. This is a complete composition change, and now this is considered normal. Present tense here, I thought that, again, we're kind of going back to the buzz, and this time it's of Mike's guitar, and it's interesting because usually present tense and Mike's guitar isn't played with heavy distortion, usually it's much cleaner, and I think that the distortion caused for the sound to sort of like blend in with itself, and in a way it kind of had some warmth to it. Some I see it's become 
me, present tense is the highlight here. When Mike has this tone on it, that little bit of distortion, a little bit of fuzz, that's the perfect way that you want to hear present tense for me. But for me, it's all about that twinkly part when they start doing the arpeggio near the end. Like that part is just amazing at this show. Fantastic here. Every one of the band just kind of like pauses, almost like it's like floating in midair for a minute before it like kicks back in. That really stood out to me as a highlight of the show. I think it's because they just let it breathe a little bit more. It felt like a little bit more of an introspective version. And, you know, the bridge was rocking. The bridge was a good time. And I think they just kind of let that just sort of sit there and kind of let you take it in instead of what they do now is that they just keep the tempo going they keep the progression going but i think they sat on it for a little bit and that's what made that twinkle as you mentioned just kind of sink into you i thought it really worked last five songs that we talked about were damn near perfect (laughs) and the way that everything transitioned into the next like energy is at an all-time high here now you're going from present tense and you're almost going to restart the set by going into corduroy that next to unheard of you know we've talked about versions of corduroy near the mid set but for corduroy to be that song that going to be the kickoff for the next six. I can't ask for a better utilization of Corduroy in the way that the show is constructed. A very, very strong final six. Like Corduroy is going to blend in to spin the black circle and spin the black circle is going to have a ton of energy. It's going to have a ton of ferocity. And then spin the black circle transitioning into daughter, it'll kind of give daughter a little bit of an edge as well. So the way that, especially with the last couple, Wishless Better Man Present Tense, the way that those kind of all unraveled gives a little bit of the momentum to the next three. And I think the next three definitely give momentum and weight into the last three as well. Like there are some excellent highlights within this latter part of the main set that I absolutely love. These three songs, Better Man Present Tense Corduroy, Imagine getting that as a three-song run in 2024. Like, you would just destroy 
a crowd with that, that would be the highlight. That would be it. You wouldn't need to do anything else after that. Fantastic. We almost never get to see these three back to back. So yeah, unbelievably good. And the bridge on Corduroy, I thought was just fantastic. We even hear Ed getting into a little bit. He kind of throws in like a na 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 thing in the bridge, like where he normally wouldn't sing, but he just was in the moment. Just felt like he needed to add some vocalizations there. That was very cool. Yeah, I happen to really like this version of Spin the Black Circle that followed up on that. Again, uh, that upward momentum pushing some of the limits of what this song is. And we've mentioned this before on the show where Stone is doing one of my favorite things that from time to time, and this feels like the era, maybe 1998, he did a little bit here too. But when going into like the second half of what the chorus is, he goes up an octave higher and plays it kind of on a higher scale and it gives it a different sound to it. And you have to get the song revved up enough to do that. It can't just be sort of like an album paced version of Spin the Black Circle where he does that, it's not gonna work. It needs to be fast. It needs to have that pace, kind of again, frenetic pace where it just works. you need something off of that big trio betterman president's corduroys you need something that's kind of a change of pace there you can't just keep that going it's going to be too much so yeah you throw and spin the black circle there i think ed gets a little bit silly with it at the end kind of affects the vocals a little bit makes it a little tongue-in-cheek there that was fun but yeah spin the black circle is always welcome anytime absolutely daughter had an edge to it and kind of fed off of the sound and the attitude of Spin a Black Circle. And I think when you get into the tag, it just kind of lets the sound just grows and grows and grows. And I think there's one moment where Mike does something very cool. It kind of sounds like he's grabbing a little feedback off of the amps. And I guess I'll take a moment here because I, I meant to mention this earlier, but I didn't. But this would have been a really good one to ask Javier this week. Unfortunately, we do not have Javier this week. And we send our condolences to him and his wife, Callie, and her family, they lost a family member over the holidays, which I, I've been there before. I've been through it, and it's just absolutely horrible. So our, our hearts are with you, and we're thinking about you during this time, and we'll see, we'll see you back next week. So hopefully you guys are, are doing okay. But anyway, yeah, there's a lot going on in, in Daughter. And the feedback that Mike is getting from the amps is just like elevating and growing and growing and just getting louder and louder and higher and higher pitched. It's just excellent. Stone is doing some cool runs here, just like some staccato strumming and very heavy reverb. There's a lot going on. Yeah, there's an echo on its vocals that you can hear. It's pretty prominent. And in the tag, you, we get this hold on call and response, you know, not the Pearl Jam song, which we did not know about at the time, but he's just kind of going back and forth with the crowd. And only really the second time that we've gotten to hear the crowd after Better Man. So nice to hear that again from Five Horizons, we know that Ed grabbed a mirror 
and was kind of reflecting the spotlight out in the crowd during Daughter, which he would do a lot in 2003, you know, during Half Full, Porsche, things like that, that became more of a thing. So yeah, grabbed a mirror here and giving the crowd a moment. Yeah, the hold on part from Live Footsteps, it actually says that's a Tom Waits song. So yeah, it, it sounded really good. And it was, it was good to get the crowd involved on that, absolutely. All right, now we're gonna dig into the final three of this main set. It's going to be a strong final three, Black, Insignificance, and then Go. And I don't know if you notice this in Black, like right from the top, but when the intro is happening, usually that segue from intro into the verse is usually that little bass slide, that boom. But this time, it's Cameron that segues you into the verse. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. Have you? I don't think so. This is an impassioned version of this, though. You get an absolutely inspired Mike McCready, and in your mind, since there's no video, all you're doing is just visualizing him looking up to the skies, eyes closed, and him just finding that zone. Just another example on Black of Mike deciding to just take over, and I think this was put here in the set to give him a moment and give Ed's voice a little break. Because, yeah, he just absolutely goes off right from the very beginning on the solo. It's amazing. All right. Insignificance is going to be your final binaural song of the night. And I think they picked, in my eyes, the best three binaural live songs. I know nothing as it seems, especially at the time, will get played the next night. But I I, I feel like Grievance Insignificance and Light Years are definitely the gold standard of what this era is and nothing as it seems probably in like a one B kind of tier, but Oh man, this insignificance again, credit to the band on the pause during this, where they just sort of stop and just wait for the crowd to react to it. And it feels like they kind of gave that a beat longer than they usually do. And kind of like soaked it in a little bit. This is a Cameron fucking song right here. The way that they transitioned into the back end just absolutely rips. This was awesome. Oh yeah, you gotta throw in a filthy fill here going into that last chorus. Matt just destroys it. Closing the main set is going to be Go. And once again, you're ending in a way that has upward momentum, upward energy, appropriate within what the rest of the set was, fast, driving, rocking. Mike proves that his strong show shows no bounds and once again absolutely kills it on this. 
And as mentioned, the back half of this main set is must listen. One of the best back halves I've heard in a very long time, especially from this era. Everything from giving a fly on down was just wonderful. I think this go is super fast. I think a little bit of what you talked about in Animal, where it's just breakneck speed. That shows up here again on Go, and Go at the end of a main set can do that. They always give a little extra push on it. That just lets Mike lose even sooner and gives him a chance to be flashy and to go off a little bit and melt that fretboard a little bit. So yeah, Go at the end of a main set is everything you want. It's not going to linger around two and a half minutes, three minutes, bust through it and walk off. All right, so we got a couple more songs in the encore, but for that, let's pause for station identification and talk about Patreon for a second or two. Let's thank one new patron and one old patron that became new patron again. The new patron is Jonathan Joyce. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining on the bonus leg. And the old become new again patron is Corey Smith also joining up on the bonus leg. So thank you to Jonathan and Corey for joining in on the cool kid club, because that's what it is over here. We're all cool kids. I mean, we're all Pearl jam fans and that's pretty damn cool, but they must know something about this tour. Kind of they're trying to get in before that tour announcement. Well, it would be a smart thing to do because it's not like there's going to be a lack of content coming from now up until the tour is in full swing. Because, yes, this tour will be right on top of everything. Those reaction episodes that were so popular last year and the year before, we're going to have one for every single night. It's going to be tough because, yes, there are West Coast shows. There are European shows. There will be, hopefully, Australian shows as well. But there are things that we're going to work on that we'll be able to make it all work out. And sometimes we'll stay up. Sometimes we'll figure it out live. And sometimes we'll get some voice recordings from some people on site. But I'm going to make sure that every show will be accounted for in some way, shape, or fashion. We will hear from somebody on site for every single episode. So we'll keep that for now. But again like that's what you're signing up for for 2024 when you're signing up for patreon and this podcast you're signing up for the awesome reaction content and there's going to be a lot of reactionary content for the new record as well i hope we can do something for the new record where it's similar to things that we did content wise for gigaton i know there was a lot more time when gigaton came out but we'll see what happens we'll see what kind of ideas that we come up with but i foresee a future where patreon is going to have a massive year outside of the stuff that already makes it massive there will be more evolution episodes i promise you that we're going to finish off the late night series finally this year we'll figure out some more stuff to do maybe this year we end up doing one of the italian shows that they open up for you too. Maybe we do something else. Maybe do a couple other things, but there will not be a lack of content over there. However, the best time to join is right now because the content will be fast and furious when it comes time to be fast and furious, but we definitely do need the help right now for the rest of the year. It helps out with the tour. It helps out with all of our funding, all of our expenses for website stuff, all of our expenses for just podcast stuff in general. And yeah, it just, again, every little piece helps. If you can donate a dollar right now 
and you just want to listen to the content, a dollar a month is it. It hopefully won't break your bank too bad. And it just puts a little bit into what we're doing and just helps because we have almost 200 people that donate a dollar a month. And think about that on what we can earn in a month with that. Like that's pretty special. That's significant in what we can do and helping us for the future. So if you're interested in that and look, as mentioned before, the Giga Leg tier and the Horizon Leg tier are going to be the tiers that you're going to want to join up on to get an episode request. And at some point, this could be the year that we finally end up finishing all the episode requests. And we might have a couple that linger into mm-hmm. 2025, but we need some new ones, guys. We're yeah, going to need late. some Mm-hmm. We're going to need some new ones at some point. And, and sure, we'll go back to some of the patrons that have made some requests in the past for sure. But we want to see some new people. We want to see some new blood. So if you want to contribute and get your episode request onto the show, talk about your story, talk about why it's your favorite show, then please, that's the way that you can get involved with the Giga Leg tier, $5 a month, or with the Horizon Leg tier, $10 a month. With that tier, you'll be able to get a profile episode about your fandom that will go up on Patreon as well. So there's a lot going on, as I mentioned. And if you want to be part of it, all you got to do is head on over to one of three places. Patreon.com slash Live on Four Legs or Patreon app and search for Live on Four Legs. Or you can go to Live on Four Legs.com. There is an orange become a patron button that is on the top of every page. All you do is click it, follow the directions, and you're in. And for anybody that might be like, I'm not sure, I want to listen to the content first before I put any funding into this. There is a seven day free trial that you can join over on the bonus leg tier. And after seven days, you'll be in. If you like the content, if you want to stay on, then you'll be in. And everybody that has joined up through the free trial has stuck around on Patreon. So if that's a good sign of what's to come, if you want to try it that way, I think you guys will be pleasantly surprised at what's over there. All right, jump back into this show, as we say around these parts, back to the rock. So Ed comes out. I'm sure he sees more signs. He says, all right, fuckers, it's not going to be perfect, but let's give it a go. And again, he says, thanks a lot, y'all. It's even more impressive than I remember. Let's give this a shot. So this is where breath comes in. And yeah, you're taking something that happened two years prior to this on your last tour, and you want to make it a moment again. And Camden and Philadelphia being so close to Madison Square Garden, you're kind of thinking to yourself like, Okay, do they just want the moment? Do they want to be able to influence the show? Or are they like starving for the song? Because when you think about it, after that version at MSG, they would go on and play it the next night at Hartford. And then they would finish the tour in West Palm Beach and play it at one of those West Palm Beach shows. And throughout the whole entire binaural tour, this is going to be the only time they end up playing Breath. But... In that sense of what made it so special, and to a lot of you, I might come off as a little hypocritical here, but I'm going to explain myself as to how it's not. To kind of feed off of what was done the year prior, 
and do it again. There's a reason why nobody really talks about this rendition as much. Like, you don't go out there and say, wow, the rerun of that episode was just perfect. No, the rerun's there because you just want to see it again. And I get that aspect. Like, there's a difference from wanting the song and making a moment. If it's just wanting the song, they got what they wanted, but it didn't have the same moment created that MSG had. Now, a lot of you that might be thinking on a hypocritical end of me saying, okay, well, they shouldn't have done it in that sort of fashion. The way that I was set to do it wasn't necessarily because it was wanting to hear the song. It was because we wanted to celebrate what the history of it was. On the 24th anniversary in the same building, I thought it would be fun to have that. Yes, it did not work out. The planning in retrospect was horrible because A, I wasn't in the pit. If I was in the pit, maybe we could have gotten something a little more going. I gave signs to people down there. And if you're not there, if you're not spearheading things, you can't necessarily rely on the couple thousand that are at the bottom to do the job. There were people that were holding it up. There definitely were. But it was really tough to coordinate from afar. And that's what made that not work. But saying that, I still think being too close to the MSG moment kind of made this like, okay, did we have to do this again? And while it's great to hear breath, and I get wanting to hear breath, and maybe this invigorates the band to want to play it a little bit more, especially for 2003 where they play it a little bit more, history doesn't have to I don't think they were trying to recreate the moment. I just think people have such an attachment to the song being on the single soundtrack. I just think people love this song and didn't want it to go away again. We hear this often, like whatever they play it, it always gets a huge reaction because everybody knows it from that soundtrack and everybody had that and went out and got it and found the song. And it's kind of a special thing because it's not on the record, but it's still a great song. And I think that people just wanted it. And they knew i think that it worked one time so it's like they haven't played it all year we got to get them to play it again well that worked before we got to get them to play it again they didn't do it again all year but in 2003 you see it come back a little more with the vengeance and it's kind of stuck around since then it's never gone away for as long as it did between 94 and 98 and then from 98 to here yeah but i think as for the version itself like the band seems fine with it ed is not confident there's a lot of lyrics that have dropped a lot of things he's forgetting Five Horizons has a couple of moments here. I guess as the song kind of reaches the peak, it says Ed turns the mic stand upside down while raising it slowly, and then after balancing it for a moment, lets it swing and crash back down on the stage. That's a quote from Five Horizons, which is cool. And then evidently at the end, Jeff kind of said to Stone, like, oh, not too bad. Got through it. So maybe this, like I said, gave them a little more confidence to bring it back and know that, like, okay, we got to bring this back so we don't have to deal with these fucking signs anymore. Not a half-bad version, as Jeff would say, Again, it's all kind of based off of how the band was clicking in with each other and not how Ed was clicking in. I think maybe he turns over the mic stand because it's like, okay, well, I got to do something. I got to be relevant in the song somehow. But he was missing a lot of lyrics, but the band seemed, as they got into the point of midway through the song, they got more confidence. And I am glad that this has not turned into what it was, that it has stuck around even if it's rarely been brought up, 
I'm glad that there are places from all around the world that have been able to get this and make that moment feel special. Yeah, they took this in the right direction after this version, for sure. I think it's one of their most beloved songs. Like, if you talk to people, like, before a show, like, what do you really want to hear? Like, what songs do you love? I think Breath would be on more of those lists than you might think. I wouldn't disagree with that. That's not going to be the only rare song you get in this encore, because back-to-back they're going to go with Tremor Christ here, and we're going to mix in once with Tremor Christ. I was really digging the version of Tremor Christ, though, and I think... A lot of it was just what you're hearing from Stone, and he's doing what he does best, utilizing the tone to create something a little mysterious and almost a little psychotic in a way, and balancing out what Jeff is doing a little bit as well, which is also a little creepy in his bass runs. The song has so much personality, and when they put all the pieces together, they create a really vivid visual of the storytelling, and that's what leads to very, very good versions of Drummer Christ. Yeah, this is another one, too, where Cameron hadn't played it that often. I think this is still maybe the 10th time that Cameron had played it, but I think you're starting to see him get a little more comfortable with it and start to put his stamp on some of these older songs. I think Tremor Christ is one of those where he's definitely doing something different than what Dave and and Jack were doing. But again, like I said, like a heavy Vitalogy night, and we're still not done with Vitalogy. Nope, nope. And you know what? Most of the Vitalogy songs are some of the best performances from their yeah. show. So, yeah. yeah, it says a lot to what they were feeling about it. But I don't got much on Once. I think that Once was pretty standard for what it was. Good encore song. But I think once you get into some of these songs near the end, like that's where you want to be. So Ed says, going into small town, that there's a little place in California east of the West Coast and north of the border. There's another town north of that. I grew up in the one that was north, and Matt grew up really close. We didn't know each other as delinquents, but we're making up for it now. But it was a small town, and this song is about a small town. I dug this version of Small Town. I thought that it had an anthemic presence to it. Maybe it started off a little bit more pensive and a little bit more... It had to kind of build into what the song would become, but it felt big. Once they got into, you know, screaming hello and got the crowd involved, it felt like a really big version of the song, which, again, I think is a testament to where it would become in compared to what it was in the 90s, where it showed signs of that, but they weren't the kind of band that played songs like Small Town a lot. They have a little bit more diversity in their repertoire now where small town can be utilized a little bit better. And I think that this is probably the point where small town really starts to make that kind of impact it shows. Yeah, I like this version too. It's definitely a turning point. I think Cameron has a lot to do with that as well, like we've talked about. But yeah, I'm looking at live footsteps here again. Like this is only the 109th performance of Small Town, a song that's seven years old at this point. They played a lot of shows, but this year in 2000, on this leg of the tour, they did 33 out of 47 shows. It's impressive. That, that's more than Black. That's more than Daughter. More than Wishlist. Almost as much as Grievance. So it was definitely coming into its own here, and it would go on up into the stratosphere. And now we're almost to 500 performances of the song. So been one of their most played over the last 25 years and that really started on this tour Jeremy's going to follow up on Small Town and I think it's good to have that back to back because you get one sing-along you're going to get another sing-along but Ed says something before Jeremy and he's in something along the lines of I definitely need that shirt 
Now, I'm unsure what type of shirt he's talking about, but once you get down to later, once you get into Ledbetter, he does receive a shirt. So we'll get there when we get there. But Jeremy's got power, good singing, and good presence. That's as much as I got for Jeremy. I don't have too much to expand on there. Whipping, Evolution Crazy Mary. And as mentioned before, the Vitalogy songs sound incredible at this show. Better Man, Spin the Black Circle, Tremor Christ. Those were excellent. Even Last Exit without Ed's vocals sounded great. And Corduroy's Corduroy, but whipping in that same fashion as Spin the Black Circle, just ultrasonic fast, tapping into the song's true identity and creating another frenetic moment. It really kicks in, and right when it kicks in, it's almost like it's already done because it just keeps that pace going the whole way through. But that's got to be a rush to the crowd, too, to come off of Small Town Jeremy and go into whipping and kind of really, you know, no pun intended, whip him into shape. Like, that was something for the encore. Yeah, very similar to what Spin the Black Circle did in the main set where you needed that to make a 180 after that big anthems and here after once in Small Town and Jeremy you need something to break it up there. You want to like make this audience turn their heads a little bit, make them a little bit uncomfortable, and just a blistering version of whipping here. Mike and Stone, especially again, we've talked about Mike this whole night. Let's lose on whipping. Very, very good. changing some lyrics in evolution to I'm a Republican baby and then Stone absolutely murders this solo another one where the energy was just palpable in this moment and just transferring from one song to the next and you got whipping you got evolution that have that same kind of energy and you're going to take it down a little bit to go into Crazy Mary and Crazy Mary is interesting because it's only the 11th version played And this is sort of the holding pattern slash purgatory era for Crazy Mary because, of course, of what we would know of it the next tour session, that it would become Boom Gaspar's song. And this is the rare time for Crazy Mary where you don't have a duel, where you don't have any keyboard or B3 influence at all. So these versions are usually very good. Outside of that, it's not this grand presence that it would become. It's not this like massive overtaking of the moment. But Mike's doing the staccato strumming. That's usually what he does here. And that was a nice little highlight. And then the song was pretty good. But it's subbed five and a half minutes. And that feels weird to say for Crazy Mary. But that was 2000 in the song, in a nutshell. 
Yeah, it did feel very sparse and it felt like something was missing. We talked about how it kind of all came together when Boom joined the band, but this is kind of the prelude to what Crazy Mary would become. Two more songs in this set. We're going to close Encore 1 with Porch. Pretty normal tricks happening here from Mike. And again, just like Crazy Mary, this was only five and a half minutes as well. This was on the shorter side of what you know for Porch. But 2000 never really felt like a prime Porch year. It felt like during 98, 2000, 2003, those were okay Porch years. But then once you really get back into 2006, it starts to become a massive moment again. And it would kind of go in and out of those moments a little bit. But 2000, I don't really think about 2000 versions of Porch that often. However, it's all of the normal tricks happening. Voodoo Child is tagged, and then Ed does a little improv, and he's kind of doing this thing where he's like, yes, it's time for you to stop. And when I heard that, I'm kind of thinking, no, all those yesterdays, huh? It's not really an all those yesterdays tag at all. Like when it keeps going, it kind of does a stop, stop. He kind of chants that instead of like the hey, hey, and yeah, the rest of the way is like Cameron really pulverizing the song. So not fortunate's primera, but it still holds up. Again, it's not that big, explosive moment. Right. And yeah, you're definitely right about the eras. Porch was not the showstopper that it had been four, five, six years earlier. But it's interesting, too, because on the original set list, Rearview Mirror was supposed to be after Porch. So Rearview Mirror was going to be the one to bring everything home. And Ledbetter's not even on there. So I wonder if Rearview Mirror was supposed to end the show completely, but... They end up cutting Ruby Mirror due to Ed's vocal issues. So Porch has to stand in and be the encore closer here. But like we talked about during Better Man, I always love a good improv where there's not one. So again, getting a little spacey there at the beginning of the jam, which just kind of fits the time, you know, into what 2000, into what Mike was doing with all those new pedals and all that, but nothing as it seems type stuff. So yeah, it fits in there. But yeah, this is kind of a lull in the history of Porch. Another one that's on the set list that they had to make the change to breath from faithful which is another where i think when ed's not having the best vocal might be stay away from so that was probably the best decision all right one song left and it's part of encore two ed says thanks everyone and ask keely for the lights it's at this point that ed has thrown a flyers jersey with a vetter and number 10 on the back and that's kind of foreshadowing for something that would happen 16 years later in a specific building that the Flyers play in. But obviously, I'm creating tie-ins where they don't necessarily tie in. But, you know, the number 10 being on a Flyers jersey still kind of connects with that. But he says it's Christmas in Philadelphia. 
and there's going to be a party tonight in Stone's room. And then Stone points somebody out in the crowd and says, oh, I want her to come. And I careful stone, careful stone. It's a rare moment of stone channeling his inner Gene Simmons. Get two kiss references on this show, but you know, Gene Simmons ever famous for looking out into the crowd and telling one of his roadies like row 14 seat B send them back. Literally. That's what he would do every single night. So, but you know, stone trying it for one night, I guess it's gutsy call on him. Led better is going to be our last song. It's a very good version. And it felt like this show deserved to be closed with lead better, but what it's about here is all of those eighties metal tags. We got crazy train tagged in the song for the one and only time ever and mike gets really into it the crowd loves it and everybody's clapping he's doing that and it's just it's awesome it's great and it's at the time where this is pre osborne's reality show fame so ozzy is still pretty cool and pretty highly respected and he's still highly respected but there was that time period where that reality show really ruined people's perspective of him but you know ozzy is always going to be ozzy but then after doing crazy train he digs into something that many of you might know that mike did for a split second in 2003 at a madison square garden show a little number of the beast iron maiden at rears its head right here and that's how you're going to close the show two cool little metal songs that mike throws in metal hits of the 70s that's right so i'm for it look i don't listen to these songs on a constant basis but i love me some ozzy whenever i'm in the mood for it and iron maiden's always been something i'm into so that's not pass i i know you're a pass i know you're a pass but sometimes it's just good to appreciate what's going on so i appreciate that he did that and threw it in because i, th- I thought never really Jones does it again up to bat after crazy train that was his walk-up music unfortunately but we don't talk about that guy we don't talk about larry on this show uh, or shay we don't talk about those people mm-hmm. anyway that is the end of the set list so now it's time to go back and talk about a couple songs the top three if you will that we like yeah, my number three is going to be, give me Animal at number three. My number two is going to be Black, and my number one is Present Tense. All right, totally different three, but very much the same portion of the set. All of mine are going to come from that back end of the main set. So number three is going to be Spin a Black Circle. Number two is going to be Given a Fly, and number one is going to be Better Man, which this is a set with a lot of rarities or like songs that are kind of on the cusp of being rare however i seem to have gravitated towards the hits at this show more this is crazy sometimes it's not about the what it's about the how yeah i mean god look at that run like given to fly even flow wish list better man present tense corduroy spin the black circle daughter black like that's a murderer's row that is rearview mirror greatest hits right there yeah yeah For the rating, I mean, this could have taken a hit with the way Ed was going, but I think they did a good job going in and picking the songs, like going on that run of kind of classics to get the crowd going on and getting into that more familiar territory. But you do miss Sleight of Hand. You do miss God's Dice. You do miss Nothing As It Seems, things like that. But again, some great moments. I'm pretty solid. I'm going to give this one seven and a half. All right. 
I am so high on that portion of the set list. That impressed me so much. And yeah, there were no, there was one binaural song during it. And yeah, I would like to hear more binaural during this era. Absolutely. For sure. That's why we want to cover 2000 is to cover all the ground there. But I liked hearing a very well thought out and perfectly constructed set where the energy just flowed one into the other, into the other. The encore was fine. I don't think had the same magic that from giving a fly on word to go all had together. But I think from that standpoint, just that factor alone impressed me enough where I think I can give this an 8.5. I'm an eight and a half with this one. So yeah, and I, I just look, and again, you're it's a Philadelphia crowd, so the crowd's going to bring it. And during some of the songs that I really, really appreciated from this, like Better Man, the crowd was there for it. It's what you expect. And granted, the bootleg back then didn't necessarily capture everything. As you mentioned, this is one of the more poor recordings of the first installment of the bootlegs, but it would get better as time went along. And I'm sure there's a reason why Marty requested this one and probably due to just being in that crowd and enjoying it. So, all right. Well, we did a lot from 2003 last year. So you'd kind of think that maybe we take a little bit of a break from the year this year, but honestly, because we've touched up on 1993 so much in the last few months, that it does feel like 2003 can be fresh again. So we're going to go back to it, and we're going to take a request from our good friend Tasker Hewitt, and we are going to do Birmingham, Alabama, which we did the other Birmingham show, so we might as well do the second Birmingham show, and who knows, maybe this can throw some good juju into them going down south and doing Alabama again. Imagine they did Alabama and not Atlanta. I'd still be there. Yeah, it's a fun one next week. It's some of the Riot Act stuff we haven't talked about in a while. Sure, for sure. I'm excited for it. It's very, very early in that first leg, too, which we didn't touch on the really early stuff, like going back to like Denver and then the Texas shows. So it was right after that whole thing. It's probably like the fifth or sixth show on that leg. So it's super, super early on. I got a little teaser for you. This show, Birmingham, next week has one of the weirdest endings to a Pearl Jam show ever. The tease I'm going to throw out there is that we're going to have to talk about a change in venue because this came up when looking at the poster and looking at the arena. I'm like, oh, that's not where they played. So we're going to have to dig that up and find that out and tell you guys all about it. So stay here next week if you want to hear all of that. All right. Well, this would be the end of the program. And if you've been listening to this, thank you for tuning in on our first 2024 show. Hopefully a big, big year for this podcast and the band as well, as we mentioned all throughout the episode. And thank you so much to Marty Thomas for requesting this one. Always good to go back to the ones that the patrons request that might not be on your radar. And this was certainly one of those shows. And look, if you are not subscribed, then please on whatever platform you're listening to right now, just hit the subscribe button because you just never know when another episode is going to come up that you might want to take a listen to. If you're not, especially if you're not on social media and you don't see our posts, then you're going to want to see 
what's coming up in the future because you never know with the new album and all the stuff that's on the horizon we might have little hidden tricks up our sleeve to do some episodes sort of out of the blue so those might come unannounced and you might just need to get a little bit of help on when you can hear those episodes if it's not going to be on social media or anything like that so just subscribe and then if you're on spotify or apple please make sure that you give us a nice little rating and help us out a five stars is very appropriate and we feel like we've done the work to achieve that and if you're on apple please feel free to leave a comment and let the people that are looking to listen to a pearl jam podcast know what you think of this and hopefully that word of mouth sticks and at one point they can be the next person that tells the next person and then the next person will tell the next person we can just get this chain continuing to go and it all helps it all helps we talk about how good this podcast is as much as we can and it's because the podcast and us are different beasts the podcast is itself and i can look at it and be like yeah that's a damn good podcast yeah we help the cause but the podcast is certainly something special in and of itself and we're just here to kind of make your memories stand out for as long as humanly possible so if we have achieved that then our work here is done but our work here is definitely done for this night so thank you all for tuning in to camden from 2000 this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always once again happy new year everybody Hopefully we got some great gifts coming in the not-so-distant future. Until then, stay tuned. Well, fuckers, you know the rest. (laughs) 